What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. to be named later. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Tolbert. Obviously, normally in this spot is Chris Willis, but Chris is out tonight. I don't know how many people actually know this, but Chris is credentialed media for home games. Chris obviously runs our entire site, and Battery Power has been credentialed at at Braves games for a while now, so anytime the Braves are at home and Chris can make it to the game, then he, he gets a media pass. So that's where he is tonight, and I am running solo. And we do have some some different topics to get to tonight. Um, Obviously, the Braves just came off a a really tough stretch of games. Um, If you don't know, the Braves just played 17 straight games against Baltimore, Boston, Toronto, Texas, Seattle, and then they just played the last three against the Dodgers. And that was a 17-game stretch that they just went through, and they, they played okay. I mean, it wasn't great baseball. They played eight eight and nine over the 17 games. Um, people will remember that right before that Baltimore series is when the Braves got news that Max Fried was going to be out for an extended period of time with the, with the forearm strain. And so, you know, it didn't start off on the best note for sure. Uh, but the Braves played pretty well. You know, the Toronto series was the only stretch of that run where it really got ugly. Um, the Braves just didn't play well in that series. And, and, and had they won at least one of those games, then, you know, they would have gone, it would have been the other way. They would have had, it would have been 9-8 and eight and would have had a winning record over that stretch. But, yeah, 8-9, you can't complain too much about. You know, it's one of the toughest stretches for the schedule the Braves have had so far. Like I said, they didn't have Max. They didn't have Kyle Wright. You know, they were down two of their best pitchers. I wouldn't say the offense has been just completely on fire um, throughout this stretch. You know, I don't think we've seen the Braves' absolute best baseball. You know, the competition does play a role in that. But yeah, I think they've just kind of been treading water here for a little bit. And when you're playing competition as good as they've played over the last three weeks, then, you know, eight and nine is kind of what happens. And when you, especially when you don't have your best pitchers, the Braves had three different bullpen games in that stretch, which is obviously not ideal. Um, not only for the those specific games, but for the games after those games, you know, the bullpen gets tired, the, you know, guys are used way more than normal. So um, it certainly wasn't an ideal time to have two of your starters go out right before that stretch started. But again, they went eight and nine. And the big thing is when that stretch started, the Braves had a six game lead in the NL East. And after the stretch is over now, 17 games later, Coming into today, the Braves had a five and a half game lead in the NL East. So even though even though they only went eight and nine over seventeen games, um, the rest of the division really didn't make them pay for it. They only lost half a game on their lead, and you know, again, you got to be able to zoom out 
in a baseball season, you can't get too locked in. And, and I'm, listen, I'm as guilty as anybody, you know, I, I follow all these games. I live tweet a lot of them and it's easy to get caught up in instant reactions about the game in front of you and not, you know, stay zoomed out. But when you do zoom out, you know, the Braves are still in a really good spot, five and a half game lead. The schedule gets much easier in, in June, you know, they get, Oakland and Colorado and Cincinnati and Washington, you know, they get uh, a few more of the the lower the lower teams in the league. So, um, you know, that'll help, of course. And and, you know, you'll get to the point where you've got five starters in some way. You know, the Braves went through most of this stretch. I think today, actually, today's Thursday that I'm recording this. And I think today is the first day the Braves have had five starting pitchers on the roster since that stretch began um, since that news came down from about Max. I think I think today was the first day they called up Dylan Dodd today and put uh, Michael Tonkin on the IL. And I think today is the first day they've had five starters on the roster since the that news broke way back before the Baltimore series. So, yeah, it, that'll help the bullpen. Um, you know, even if it's not five great starters, it's five starters at least. And, you know, you're not going to have to burn through your bullpen every couple of days. So that will help. But... Yeah, 8-9 over the 17 games, you know, we knew it was going to be a tough stretch. Even before it started, you could tell on paper it was going to be a tough stretch, and it was, you know. Uh, the Braves didn't play great, but they treaded water, and, you know, luckily enough, the division didn't really make them pay for it. And, yeah, they come out of it with a with a five-and-a-half game lead versus the six-game lead they had when it started. So, all in all, not too bad. So, one of the things that we absolutely had to talk about tonight, and even though I'm by myself, this was this was just a no-brainer because it, it has to be talked about, is Bryce Elder, right? Like, what, what, what is happening? What is happening with Bryce Elder? No one can really explain it. It's, you know, you watch these games that he pitches, and it's like, my God, he's throwing 91 down the middle a lot. And, like, they don't hit it. And it's... It's wild. I I remember um, last night in the in the last game against the Dodgers, there was a sequence where there was two guys on, and it was Max Muncie up, and Max Muncie destroys right-handed pitching. I mean, it's what he does, and he's you know he's one of the league leaders in home runs, and he got to a three-one count, and Bryce Elder literally threw him two ninety-one mile an hour fastballs right down the middle. I mean, just right down the middle of the plate, and. He missed them both, and the second one he swung through to end the inning, and it's like, I, I don't even, I don't even know how to explain that, and that's like a microcosm of what Bryce Elder's first few weeks in the big leagues have been like this season, where like, you can't really explain how he's getting away with this stuff. Like, if you look at his, you know, baseball savant page, everybody's probably seen it by now. It, 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 it's terrifying because it's like. He doesn't really do anything exceptionally well, and you know none of his stuff is even really um, average. Most of it's below average, if we're being completely honest. And his command is not great, and he leaves a lot of pitches in the middle of the plate. But like every game, you look up and he's thrown six innings and given up one run, and you're like, "What? What the hell is happening? Like what? What's happening? I it, it really is." a miracle. And you know what? Here's the thing though. Even if it's not real and even if it does regress and even if there's a big big you know fall off a cliff coming. The games that he's pitched to this point still count. Like you can't take that win against the Dodgers away because it's already in the record book. It already counts. 
And regardless of what happens from this point forward, the Braves needed that win last night. And they've needed Bryce Elder to be the guy that he's been the first, you know, eight weeks of the season. And even if he's not that guy going forward, he's been so valuable in these first eight weeks, especially with the pitching injuries they've had in the rotation, that... You know, even if the regression does come, and listen, I'm gonna dump, I'm gonna jump into the numbers here in a second, but even if the regression does come, it doesn't take away from what he's done in these first eight weeks and these first handful of starts, and and how massive they've been for the Braves and and helping the Braves tread water while some of their best pitchers are out and and playing some of their toughest competition. So, can I explain it? No, I can't. I can't explain how he keeps getting away with it, how he keeps doing it. But you know what? It doesn't really matter because, again, you know that hay is already in the barn. the 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 starter or the starts that he's made already are already in the record book. And even if he doesn't maintain it, and I don't know that he will, because again, some of these numbers are pretty scary. Um, it doesn't matter because you know the Braves have already gotten a, a substantial amount of value out of him. And so yeah, let's jump into these numbers real quick. So Bryce Elder for the season has a 2.01 ERA in 58 innings, which includes the Dodger game from last night. So these are updated numbers. A 2.01 ERA in 58 innings. His FIP is 3.45, and his XFIP is 3.49. So his FIP and XFIP are almost identical, about a full run and a half above where his ERA is. The reason that his FIP and XFIP are so much higher than his ERA is because Bryce doesn't strike a lot of people out. And we know that. You know, he's not he's not awful. I think his K per nine is is right around seven and a half. And that's not terrible, but it's low. It's definitely on the low end for you know for modern baseball where strikeouts are, are at a premium. And one one of the incredible things about his year to this point is that he has stranded eighty seven percent of the runners that have gotten on base against him. And I know a lot of people don't really know about the the uh, left on base percentage stat and what it you know what it kind of regulates, but typically, you know the the average is around seventy percent, and anything above that is considered fairly lucky sequencing. And if you have a number substantially higher than seventy percent, then you've you've had some sequencing luck, right? Like you're you're getting your best results when guys are on base and your worst results when guys are not on base, right? That's, that's essentially what sequencing is, 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 you know, you're, you're leaving guys on base at an incredible clip because your, your best outcomes are coming when those guys are on base. And we saw that against the Dodgers. I mean, he had, I think the first four innings, he had two guys on every inning. And a lot of times it was to start the inning. It was two guys on and no one out. And he would just get, you know, strikeout, ground ball, ground ball, strikeout, fly out you know, ground out, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's a microcosm of what he's done so far. It's, it's just been really astounding sequencing that has allowed him to, to live at the ERA he's, he's living at because he's not a two ERA pitcher. He's just not. And the longer we go into the season, that will become clearer and clearer. He's not going to strand 90% of the base runners that he allows all season. That 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 doesn't happen. That number is going to regress down to the mean around 70%, you know. But again, like I said, even if that happens, it doesn't take away from what he's done these first 2 months when the Braves desperately desperately needed quality starts and he delivered time after time. And, you know, 
when you're a full run and a half higher on your FIP and your XFIP than you are your ERA, you know, the if you look at the StatCast data, it's even worse. I mean, his expected ERA is like in the fours. And that's just based on batted ball profile. He gives up a lot of hard hit balls. His average exit velocity is like 91 or 92 miles an hour. Um, he does get a lot of ground balls, though. So that does mitigate some of the batted ball profile. Is If a lot of your hard contact comes on the ground, then you are you are able to limit damage. There's just only so much, you know, there's only so much damage an offensive player can do when the ball's on the ground. I mean, you know, a ground ball double is typically the best you're going to do. Every once in a while, you'll get a ground ball triple. Um, the Dodgers actually had one in that, that series. I think it was against Strider, though, um, or maybe Morton. But it's very rare. Usually when you hit a ground ball, the best case you're going to get is, is usually a double. And so, you know, that's kind of been Elder's formula is keep the ball on the ground, strike out a guy, you know, he doesn't really strike out a guy per inning. It's less than that, but get your strikeouts when you can. And, and when you get guys on base, pray that your best results come. And that's kind of what's happened so far. And is it going to continue? Probably not. You know, everything we know about these numbers and how they progress over a season say that there is a, a, a massive regression monster coming. But you know what? The Braves have banked these wins and they've banked these starts and, you know, by the time he turns back into probably more of a three or four ERA, ERA guy, which I think is his true talent level, you know, Max Fried could be back or Kyle Wright could be back or, you know, Soroka could be up and then it's somebody else's turn to kind of pick up the slack and, and take it from there. So yeah, it's been amazing and he, he deserves all the credit in the world. Um, his teammates will tell you that he's a terrific guy. Uh, the coaches love him and he's been a, he's been a godsend for the Braves when they desperately needed some quality starts you know, he's provided them. So credit to Bryce. No, I don't think it's real. Uh, I, there is some regression coming. There's just too much evidence pointing in that direction. But they've banked these wins. They've banked these starts, and, and that matters a lot. So credit to Bryce. It, it's been really fun to watch, quite honestly. So another topic I wanted to get in tonight, because it's it's kind of been all over Twitter, and it's been it's been a, a huge topic, really, for the last, well, really for the, since the start of the season, this has been going on, and that's A.J. Minter, and what's going on with A.J., because, you know, anybody that watched last year knows A.J. was not only the best reliever on the team, but A.J. was one of the best relievers in all of baseball. I mean, he, I think he was second or third overall in reliever war last year. I mean, he was, he was incredible. He was lights out, and he was dependable pretty much from opening day till the end of the season. Um, and he was truly the Braves' number one weapon. Um, maybe after they got Rossiel at the trade deadline, you know, him and AJ were kind of one and two, but it, it, he was really locked down last year. And this year it's been the exact opposite, essentially. For, for people that don't know, AJ came into the, um, came into the year this, or came into tonight's game with a seven and a half ERA for the season. And that spans 22 innings, 23 appearances, and yeah, a seven and a half ERA. And that's obviously a far cry from last year. He had a 2.06 ERA over the full season, and that spans 70 innings, right? So 70 innings and a two two ERA last year. This year, uh, 20, 22 innings and a, and a seven and a half ERA. And that's when you see that kind of when you see that kind of jump. The, or at least my first inclination is to dive in and just try to figure out, okay, what's different? Like, why why are we seeing this massive difference in in production from AJ? And and as I'm literally as I'm recording this, AJ is coming into the game, (laughs) 
to face uh I think the middle of the the middle of the Phillies order in a one run game. So this is this will be interesting. But um yeah, AJ is has been struggling this year. And so I, w- I wanted to know and I've done this a couple of times this year. I just wanted to know what's different. Like I, I went through all the Statcast stuff. I went through you know his Fangraph page, the batted ball stuff. And I would be a hundred percent honest with you. It's really hard to find anything different. I mean, he is striking out guys at a really high clip again this year. Last year he struck out guys. Uh, he struck out hitters, or he struck out twelve per nine inning. This year he's at eleven and a half per nine inning, which is still a lot. It's a little drop, but it's really not much. You know, last year he he walked almost two per nine inning. This year it's just a little over two per nine inning, so not a huge difference. You know, the big thing I see is last year he had a, a two eighty six batting average on balls in play against, and this year he's got a three eighty six batting average on balls in play against. So his BABIP is a hundred points higher. Um, guys are finding more holes. I do think the Braves' defense is not quite as good as it was last year, and I think that is contributing to some of this. I think there there have been plays that were made last year that haven't been made this year, and so the 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 Braves as a staff have like the fourth or fifth highest uh, batting average on balls in play this year, and and I think the defense is part of that. And you know, not having Dansby in those those three weeks with Grissom, which were not great at short, and and the defense overall has been kind of sketchy, but you know, back to AJ, you know, when you have a hundred points higher and, and on a batting average of balls in play, that just means, you know, you're the, the times that you, the opponent is making contact, is just not turning into outs at the same level it was last year. And, you know, there's always a conversation about, is that more the pitcher's fault? Is that more the, 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 the defense's fault? Is that more just randomness or luck? You know, we still not a hundred percent sure who to officially put when when the ball is put in play, who deserves the credit? Who deserves the blame? That's kind of still one of the things about pitching and pitching metrics that is tough to, you know, it, it is tough to figure out. And that's why if you look at FIP, which removes all of the balls in play, that's what FIP is. It's, fil- it's fielding independent uh, pitching metric is, you know, that's why his FIP is still 332. His ERA is 736 and his FIP is 332. And his XFIP, which is is the same is you know removing fielding but also um stabilizing home runs per fly ball is 337 which is only like half a run higher maybe a little bit more than that than it was last year and so you know he's putting or guys are putting the the ball in play against him almost at the exact same clip but are hitting 100 points higher this year than they were last year and so that's the that's definitely the big thing you know if you if you pull up a savant page it's a lot of the same stuff. It, it 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 really doesn't look that much different from last year. The one thing that I've noticed is that his cutter is just not as strong this year for whatever reason. He just hasn't gotten the same results. And, you know, some of that is location where he doesn't put it where he wants it. And some of that is bad luck. I mean, I remember uh, multiple instances, instances this year where he's put a cutter exactly where he wanted and just gotten burned with it and, you know, Whose fault is that, right? I mean, that's the question. Like, is that his fault? Is that just bad luck? Is that just good hitting? Like, it's tough. And, you know, AJ's a reliever. And kind of the whole thing with relievers is sometimes you just have to shrug and be like, I don't know. You know, they're relievers. Like, this this stuff happens. And it especially happens in small samples. And, and you know, we're only eight weeks into the season. It's still technically a small sample. So, you know... You look at his FIP, his XFIP, they all look 
really in line with what he normally does. Ironically, you know, we just talked about Bryce Elder and, and how he's stranding 90% of the base runners, and that's an extremely lucky number, and it's going to regress. Well, AJ is the exact opposite. AJ is only stranding like 45% of his base runners. And again, 70 is is the median, and so and you expect that you expect over enough, you know, once we add enough data to this, that it's going to be around 70. So AJ should see some positive regression. The way Elder's going to probably see some negative regression, AJ should get a bump uh, because it seems like, you know, his worst results come when guys are on base. And literally, as I say that, AJ, uh, <laughs> Kyle Schwarber hits a double with two guys on base, and there goes the lead. So, yeah, that was... Um, that was funny. Um, anyway, so yeah, and oh, and by the way, it started with a bunt. Was that a bunt hit that Harper got? I wasn't actually paying attention. I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. I think it was a bunt hit, which you know that's AJ's season in a in a in a one three batter stretch right there. But yeah, so it it really is. Yeah, I don't. I don't I don't have the answer. I don't know. I can't tell you that this is drastically different. His velocity looks the same. Is his batted ball stuff looks the same, you know, it's just more batted balls are going for hits than they ever have before. And I don't, it's tough to, to it's tough to tell who, who to blame. I mean, AJ's average X velocity this year is actually a little bit less than it was last year. So it's not like guys are just squaring him up way harder than they were last year. He, it's actually down a tick. I think it was 88.3 last year and it's 88.2 this year. So essentially identical average exit velocity they're just going for more hits and i, I yeah I, it's tough to really explain why that's happening and whose fault it is but my guess is it's just a a, a product of, of small sample size randomness and you know over enough over an, enough innings and a, a large enough sample it should it, you know it should come back down to earth and the Braves need it to obviously AJ is one of their best pitchers and and they need him to be good and you know he's he was kind of depended on to be, you know, one of the two or three best relievers on this team. And, you know, him and Iglesias were supposed to kind of form this really dynamic duo at the back of the bullpen. And um, it just hasn't worked out that way so far. But again, these are relievers. This stuff happens. And I'm still not worried about AJ. I know it's crazy to say. I know a lot of people are, like, ready to be done with him. But, like, you just you look at the numbers and it's just not there. Like, there's nothing overly concerning in them. It's not like he's you know, three miles an hour less on his fastball or, you know, guys are averaging 92, 93 miles an hour exit velocity where you're just like, what's going on? Like none of that's there. None of that exists. It's just like when guys make contact now, it's just going for more hits than it used to. And again, who do you blame for that? And and who's responsible for that? We don't really know. And that's just baseball sometimes. So yeah, you know, it's been frustrating and obviously tonight's not going to help, but um, yeah, it's the Braves really need AJ to to find some better results, and I, I'm sure AJ is, you know, AJ wants better results more than anybody. So, um, but yeah, that's AJ Minner. All right, last topic, then we'll get out of here. So, one thing I did want to touch on tonight because it's it's been a theme for the season so far, and it's it's you know it's kind of reared its ugly head here in the last couple of weeks and and one of the reasons the Braves have been inconsistent is the Braves have some pretty wild splits going on right now between when they face a left-handed pitcher and when they face a right-handed pitcher um I don't know if you guys have seen these numbers yet but when the Braves face a left-handed starter this season or I'm sorry not a left-handed starter just a left-handed reliever uh or a, left, a left-handed pitcher of any kind the Braves offense has a 150 WRC plus which is 
absurdly high for a team. I mean, that's that's basically saying every time the Braves face a left-handed pitcher, they turn into like prime, you know, Miguel Cabrera um, or Mike Trout. Like that's that's an absurd number to run. And then when the Braves are facing right-handed pitching this year, they have a 96 WRC plus. So left-handed pitching, it's a 150, and against right-handed pitching, it's a 96. And so anytime you see a gap that big, then, you know, it's interesting, right? It's something you kind of want to dive into. And, you know, if you break down the roster, it actually does make sense. I mean, if you think about the best right-handed hitters on the team, you know, Acuna, Riley, uh, Murphy, you know, Ozuna's been really hot in May, which has helped a ton. Um, Probably should have added him to the rundown as hot as he's been. If he keeps this up, Going into next week's episode, then we'll jump. We'll do a bunch of Ozuna stuff because he's he's earned it. Um, but yeah, Darno, you know, Arcia has been really good. Um, the Braves have, you know, the Braves have quality right-handed hitting kind of up and down their lineup. And like Kevin Pilar has been huge against lefties. And ironically, like even some of their oh right-handed Ozzy. God, I can't forget right-handed Ozzy. Right-handed Ozzy is the the best <laughs> the best right-handed hitter on the team. Um, right-handed Ozzy is one of the best hitters in the history of baseball if you don't know i think i think ozzy's got like a career like 340 average against left-handed pitching literally one of the best of all time and um i knew i was forgetting somebody big yeah right-handed ozzy has been a monster and so like the braves just have like up and down their lineup they just have this incredible you know depth of of guys who can just destroy left-handed pitching and and that's what you've seen and anytime you know, the Braves have actually run into a, a really long string of right-handed starters here in this tough stretch. And I think teams are starting to kind of get aware of this and are lining up their right-handed starters to face the Braves if they can do that. You can't always control that, but if you can control it, then, you know, the Braves face nothing but righties in the Seattle series. They face nothing but righties in the um, in the L.A. series. They face nothing but righties. Or they faced uh, one, two righties in the Texas series and one lefty. They crushed the lefty, of course. Um, so, you know, teams are, I think they're facing all righties in this Philly series coming up. So teams have really started to figure out that, you you know, your best chance against the Braves is to throw your right-handed pitching. Because, you know, if you look at all the Braves' left-handed hitters, the, the real weapons against right-handed pitching, it's, it's really not the same as all of their weapons, you know, all of their right-handed hitters against left-handed pitching. You know, they've got Matt Olson, who really crushes... Um, right-handed pitching he always has and is doing it in this year but then after Olsen you know if you look at the left-handed hitters on the team it's Eddie Rosario who's having a disappointing year overall and especially against right-handed pitching you have left-handed Ozzy which is a, is a far cry from right-handed Ozzy uh, left-handed Ozzy is having a, a much 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 worse year and then Michael Harris, of course, is the other lefty who's having a, a really slow start and actually got benched um, yesterday and, and is back in the lineup today, or two days ago. He got benched two days ago and back up back in the lineup the last two days. But yeah, so you've got Olsen and then you've got three guys who really haven't been great. And so it's not hard to see why the Braves are so much better against left-handed pitching just because they have this incredible, you know, five, six, seven guys deep of, of hitters that can all crush left-handed pitching. And if you look at the, the guys on the team that crush right-handed pitching, it's really three guys. Acuna, Acuna hits everybody. He hits righties and lefties. Matt Olson hits righties really well. And Austin Riley, 
typically hits righties pretty well. He's He's been one of the reasons the Braves have been slower against righties this year is because he's had a bad start against righties as well. But those three guys are typically the guys that are going to hit right-handed pitching really well. After those three guys, it gets a little dicier. Like, Sean Murphy's never really had a, a massive season against right-handed pitching. Eddie Rosario is supposed to be that guy. He's supposed to be the, you know, the strong side of a platoon that can hit right-handed pitching and really balance out your lineup. The problem is he just hasn't been that guy this year, and he hasn't really been anywhere close to that guy. Most of his damage has actually come off left-handed pitching this year. Um, his He's got crazy reverse splits happening right now. And that'll settle down as we get more farther into the season. But still, the Braves need Rosario to hit against right-handed pitching. They need left-handed Ozzy. I mean, left-handed Ozzy is never going to be what right-handed Ozzy is, but they need left-handed Ozzy to be a bit better. I mean, he's actually had a pretty rough season batting left-handed. The the splits on his on his stuff is is crazy high. Um, and then Michael Harris. They need Michael Harris to find it again and and really be the guy because that's you know last year he struggled against lefties, but Harris destroyed right-handed pitching last year. I mean, he crushed it. And that's what the Braves need. They need one of these guys or two of these guys or, you know, hell, three of these guys would be even better to really kind of find find their way against right-handed pitching the way the right-handers have found their way against left-handed pitching, right? Like, that's how it works. You need your... You need guys on both sides of the plate to kind of pick up the slack when they're, they're facing the opposite-handed starter. And the Braves just haven't had that yet this year. And you know, if you're dumb enough to let a lefty face the Braves, then, you know, the, the Rangers threw a rookie, <laughs> his first start ever, a left-handed rookie against the Braves, and they scored like 12 runs, I think. I think they beat him like 12 nothing, And then they threw two righties, and, it you know, the next two games were really close and tough. And, you know, that's just kind of how it's going right now. And so, yeah, the Braves do have these crazy splits going. I do think Alex will potentially look at adding another left-handed bat, you know, I was talking about this on Twitter, but, you know, if you ask yourself, who's the second best left-handed hitter on the team, you know, obviously Olsen is one, but who's the second best guy? And it's tough to answer that. It really is. Like, is it Eddie Rosario? And if it is Eddie Rosario, like, do you really want Eddie Rosario being the the second best left-hander on a, a team trying to win a World Series? Like that, I don't know. That seems That seems like not ideal. Right or you know does Michael Harris eventually take that mantle? That's what I think. I think eventually Michael would be the second best lefty on the team, and if he gets back to the guy he was last year against righties, then you can certainly live with that. I mean, he had like a 150, 160 WRC plus against right-handed pitching last year, and if he gets back to that guy, then you're more than fine. Then you know you're you're really covered against righties as well. But we just don't know. We don't have enough data on Michael. Uh, yeah, Michael Harris over, you know, we don't have multiple seasons to know exactly what's going to happen or have at least a decent idea what's going to happen. You know, he could, this could just be a sophomore slump where he's not really the same guy until he, you know, he goes through this year. And and if that's the case, the Braves are certainly going to need some, some help from that side of the plate. So I I really wouldn't be surprised as we get into June and, and, you know, buyers and sellers become a little more clear. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Alex, goes out and tries to find another left-handed hitter for the lineup, I think it would help. Certainly help mitigate some of this massive difference they've had in in right and left-handed pitching so far. And, you know, their offense is just, I mean, they have, you know, Tampa's on another level than everybody. But after Tampa, the Braves essentially have the best offense in baseball against left-handed pitching. And against right-handed pitching, they rank like 18th or 19th in the league. I mean, they're almost a bottom 
almost a bottom third team against right-handed pitching. Like that's the difference we're talking about. It's it's really been stark. And so I do think they'll they'll go out and get a, a left-handed bat if if this continues. You know, if if Eddie doesn't find it or if Michael doesn't snap out of this slump at some point soon, you know, I think that's going to be a real need for the team and you know, it should be because, you know, you don't want to get into a situation where you know, you're in a playoff series and the other team can stack all of its righties against you and basically say, you know, can you beat us on your weaker side of the plate? You really want to be more balanced than that. So, you know, that's just an interesting thing I've noticed over, you know, it's kind of developed itself over the last, over the first eight weeks of the season. And we, we have enough data from, in terms of a team wide that I I think we can safely say the Braves are going to be worse against right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching. And so what's the, you know, what's the move? What's the counter to that? How do the Braves, you know, how do they, how do they combat that? Is it a trade? Is it, you know, is it trying to get Michael going? Obviously they're going to try to get Michael going, but you know, are they successful in doing it? You know, what do you do with Eddie? Cause you know, Eddie doesn't do much in the field. He doesn't do much on the bases. So if he's not hitting, you know, it, it gets tricky with Eddie. So yeah, just something to be aware of. The, the Braves do have a bit of a hole against right-handed pitching and, and how they go about addressing it is going to be kind of an, an interesting storyline as we get into June and July. Um, so yeah, that's really all I have. You know, when you're running solo, it's tough to go <laughs> more than 30 minutes before you're, you're, you feel like you're crazy. You've been talking to yourself so long. So I'm going to cut it off there. Um, we'll be back next week. You know, Chris and I should be back kind of on normal, our normal setup and all that. So um, stay tuned. Obviously, check out the site, check out the podcast network. Um, you know, the main show on Sundays with Brad and Scott's out of town right now, but Brad's got a few guests lined up for um, while he's gone. And then Sean with the Daily Hammer. And then obviously this show uh, comes out usually on Thursdays or Fridays. Every week, the podcast will be named later with me and Chris. Check out the site. We've got content all the time. And, and yeah, we'll see you guys later. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.